Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos-Silva. I didn't even know what to say. Um, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, now I'm like, I can't say what's up. <laughs> like no, thing. that little red light comes on, man. Yeah, it's I know. Intimidating. It is good to be back in the place to be, man. Back in the studio with my main man, my producer and co-host, Doc Miller. Hello, hello, hello. Man, you know, we've had a run. We've had some, um, I mean, all of our board members are tremendous. My, my, my brain hurts because we have just learned so much, hmm. right? So, so I, I am excited to continue. Um, and, it, you know, it's good hurt. Yeah. It hurts so good. Is that the yeah. <laughs> I feel like we got this positive energy, mm-hmm. powerful energy coming in. And I don't know that uh, we could have a better guest for that. You know, um, yeah. Dr. Daryl Tonema, this is, this is my dude. You know, I met yeah. Dr. Tonema a few years ago. I mentioned this, I think, uh, on uh, last, uh, last week when we were talking about um, preparing to, to share his 20-question response. He came in during the Native American Achievement Schools grant and was an amazing resource. He is um, uh, a psychologist, an education consultant, but he steeps all of that, you know, clinical and kind of textbook knowledge mm-hmm. in his culture as an indigenous educator, a father, a husband, uh, you know, and so he just, I mean, I feel like it's the perfect blend yeah. I, it, like it, it's going to build off of what we learned early this season with Kyle, but it's going to add a whole nother, you know, kind of like dimension to it. So I'm excited, yeah. man. So I guess I probably should give the same like warning that we did for, for Kyle Quadros for, for Dr. Daryl Tonema and that he's going to get in your head. He's going to, he's going to tinker around there. And I think he joins a lot of our board members in thinking that you know, as bad as COVID-19 has been for, for all of us, especially communities of color, this could be a moment of change that we needed. You know, I, that, is, that is the question too, because this could be the watershed moment. No, nobody says we're required to go back to how it was three months ago. Exactly. And there's, there's other things being demonstrated right now that are models being demonstrated and I, I think it's, it's an, this is an opportunity. And I do know if we, if we go back to um, how, we were, how we were previously, we're gonna have, when this, and this can go to our hour-long conversation, it, it, it's, we're gonna have trouble with, trouble with just dopamine exchange. We, we have kids playing Fortnite 12 hours a day and, and for seven months in potentially toxic environments. That brain isn't gonna come back and learn math anytime soon so it's 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 an opportunity and i'm starting to get to talk to school districts about how can we approach things differently than what you're saying <laughs> the the models built 100 years ago i'm now 100 years old we should be doing it like this because what we know about what do you know about how trauma behaves that electrical charge when it's being used it's it's effective but sitting in the classroom it's not being used anymore and it's going to look like what we call was could be diagnosed as ADHD or ODD or uh, autism. It's going to look like those behaviors 
and the old model isn't really been, isn't really designed to fit what, what, what we may see. I hope we don't, but we may see. No, that's a good point. Um, uh, when I was talking to Diana earlier, she said her worst fear, and I think this is influenced by having listened to you and hear, heard you in a variety of formats. She's like, I'm afraid of kids showing up to school. And she's like, I can almost hear the voices of the teachers now. You've been off for six months. Now it's time to learn. And she's like, I'm not sure that they're going to actually be ready for that. Like, that's what it sounds like yeah. you're, 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 you're talking about. Yeah, she and I had that conversation. The brain, the brain is, even just going down the physiology of it, not even the sociology, just the physiology of it. The dopamine exchange just isn't there. there if, if, they've been in, if, if they've been living with their abuser for the past six or seven months stuck in the house, the, they're wired for something totally different when they come back to school. And, and they won't be ready to learn. So the classroom is going to have to be different. You know, what, what Dr. Tonema is talking about there reminds me of when we had David Johns on, right? This oh, idea that we, uh, and, and with David, we were talking uh, particularly about kids uh, with our intersectional identities, you know, mm -hmm. black, uh, uh, BIPOC students, you know, black, indigenous, other people of color, and identifying as LGBTQ, mm -hmm. potentially being home and not returning daily to a school setting or to an adult relationship that could be healing and supportive and maybe they're in a bad place. And yeah. so this is like, it, this echoes that, right? Like this idea that however students identify that they may actually be in a slightly worse situation because now there's no respite, there's no break. And, and, and going back to the way things were, assumes that that school was an adequate respite for kids uh, or, or, or an, ad, uh, an adequate um, uh, escape for kids from that angle. So, so um, it really resonates that, you know, and we've used this, this before hashtag back to better, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because uh, we are on social media, uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram at the underscore board of ed, uh, B-O-R-E-D at the underscore B-O-R-E-D of Ed. Um, and when we say back to better, that's the kind of thing we're talking about is creating classrooms, not, not that just get kids back to normal, but, but that are inclusive environments where, where the whole child can feel engaged and safe uh, and known by their teachers. Mm -hmm. that's, that's super powerful stuff. Uh, if you didn't get to catch um, uh, our, our chat with David, remember all of our, all of our uh, episodes are on uh, the board of ed.com. That's the B O R E D of ed.com. And you can go back and learn more about those episodes and catch up on the ones you missed, but um, had to get that shameless plug in there. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, I appreciated uh, Dr. Tonema sharing the, the, like this could be the watershed moment. We could start flowing in a different direction. Right. And at the same time, what I think is powerful is that because of the point you just made that school hasn't necessarily been the ideal respite for students. He's, what he's about to talk about is this idea that for some students being at home, being virtual has actually been better for them. Like based on the way that they learn the type of energy that they bring school mm -hmm. hasn't always worked for them. And so being at home in a supportive environment with a, parent or another loved one and having a little bit more freedom and flexibility has allowed them to thrive. And I want to hear what he has to say about that. Well, you know, as you were saying that, I, 
uh, I, I started persevering on a phrase. I don't even know what's a phrase, but teaching to temperament. Th that that makes sense to me. Um, if 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 they are the, if they are that active kid, they're allowed to be that active kid on that on that call. Uh, they're not forced to just sit still, shut up, and listen. They're allowed to bounce around and be the distraction because they're not distracting anybody else in a room. And so that temperament, the thing that actually could be a strength. The ADHD doesn't have to be a, an awful thing. It's just juice. It's just energy. And, it, and it's, it's, it's the shift of it that people struggle with, the, sh the shifting of attention. And so if they're allowed to have that, what if they do learn better then? What if they, could, if they sat there and bounced and fidgeted? What if they do learn better? And again, teaching to temper. My daughter is a quiet introvert and works at, and is in a classroom full of kids, is stressed if the teach if she gets called out in the classroom that's not teaching to her temperament so maybe something maybe this model that's i don't know if it's blooming or blossoming or if it's a required model but it's she goes at her pace and she's not called on and she's doing she's she did good in school but i think just the there's less anxiety associated with it now because just because she's an introvert well that's i mean i think what you're talking about that uh, resonates with me is like we're in that world that you're talking, we're moving away from the one size fits all. And so your daughter is getting what she needs. And then that kid who's bouncing around gets what he needs. And uh, we're not requiring either her to become bouncy and outgoing or him to be quiet and you know stuck. Hey, let's coin that phrase, make t-shirts. Teaching the temperament. That's yeah, totally. <laughs> um, um, we've had the chance and, and to talk about how kids are impacted by this. And I've heard a lot of folks talking about that, whether it's in other forums, on, on webinars. What I've heard less of is talking about the trauma that adults may be experiencing, like teachers, mm -hmm. uh, school counselors, principals, like they're also kind of been, uh, not kind of, they've also been disrupted. Some of them are trying to be educators and the homeschool parents, you know, they're doing both roles. Um, how, what do you think they're going through? And like, what could we be thinking about as far as like making sure school's ready for them when they come back? Oh yeah. That, and that, you know what? That's what my, my first session that I, that I do with a school or a school district is the first one is always, how are you? And, and taking in personal care. And one of the themes that has come up in, and, and you know, this working in on reservations or impoverished communities, they, they are genuinely worried about what their kids are going through um, because they may have, for better or worse, they may have been the safe place in, in the, they may have been the safe person in the student's life and the school may have been the same, the safe place in the student's life. And so they're taking care of their own wellness um, because this whole, this novelty of something different, just in itself, novelty creates stress in the system. So they can't, Everybody feels that, but compound that with, I still have to teach kids. And, uh, and, and, here, and here's the conversation I've had. We're gonna hold kids to the same standard being homeschooled by the person who works at 7-Eleven and not the teacher that was trained how to teach this particular topic. So, it's, so they're, they're gonna be held accountable and it's, it's kind of a, that in itself is stressful. And so having all those stresses, then, then working with their own kids is all compounded. 
and the teachers are uh, so grateful to have one session dedicated to them feeling without even saying let's take care of kids let's I always say let's worry about that next couple of sessions this is all about how can you take care of yourself and they're so, so thankful for it just just the one i just got off for salamanca the reservation here one of the one of the teachers said i i can't leave my house without my son eight-year-old son having separation anxiety and i had the same problem with my eight-year-old son because they're absorbing it they're hearing things too and they think we're walking out the house into a death sentence and so he's saying, how do I teach and how do I live my life and how do I raise my kids? Because I'm right now, it's a requirement to do all of those. And that's very, that's very stressful for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really important and under, under discussed conversation, right? We, we, it is so critically important that our kids have what they need, but our teachers, our highly qualified educators can't give kids what they need if they don't have what they need, right? Like if, if I'm not at a hundred percent, I can't give a hundred percent. The math just doesn't work. You know, it's, it's, it's so, I would, I would, I would want to say shocking, surprising, but I don't know if I'm really surprised anymore. Teachers are like America's punching bag, man. It's like, we beat them up all the time. Every every single societal ill is the responsibility of the teacher. You know, every everything, um, every solution isn't their um, there is their purview. Yeah. I wish I could jump back into the time machine, which I can because of social media. If you go back to March and April, man, people were putting halos on teachers and like mm. like they are the hardest working individuals in the world. But fast forward to late July and August, and they're saying, you know get back to work, you lazy son of a, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. It's like, it's like, I remember, uh, on a Shea talking about something. She said, my, 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 how things change. Right. Yeah. Um, what two, three months ago, I forget which state it was teacher of the year was all teachers in the state because we recognized the extra effort and energy, the tireless, uh, commitment that teachers put in to go 180 degrees from the brick and mortar to the virtual with very little support and no, almost no additional resources. And then now it's because teachers, I mean, a lot of the teachers are parents themselves. A lot of the teachers are caring for adult relatives, you know, their parents or whatever. All of a sudden it's, um, how lazy, how lazy, you know, they did last, last, you know, three months ago was they deserve a million dollars raise. Now it's like, if they don't want to work, they shouldn't be paid. And it's like, man, my, 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 how quickly, how we quickly change. And, and I think we've, we've got to, we've got to figure out how to change that. And it starts at, at the, at the absolute micro level. Right. And mm-hmm. so there are things, and Daryl's going to tell us about this, that we can do for teachers in our own school and for each other that can make a difference. Students are going to pick up how the teachers are not less so about what when the teachers say I'm calm and everything's great but they're going to pick up on how they are actually are and in the research of the vagus nerve safety is the number one thing that's going to help the student thrive again and so if the, if the teacher's coming in stressed or angry there that is going to be translated into the into the student into the school 
So when I talk with superintendents and teachers, I say, just take care of yourself. Let's, let's worry about the nuts and bolts of what's going to happen further down the road. But right now, you need to be okay. There's plenty of resources uh, uh, for self-care. And that, really, that's what I do at the first session is we, let's talk self-care. Make sure you're okay. Because if you're okay, that's the first step in having the students recover. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, I, and actually, I talked about it with Diana. It's like, we get so stressed about academics. I mean, everyone's got to test and be assessed at a high level. And if they're not, we're in trouble. And what actually happens, it feels like both for the teachers and the kids, that can actually be almost like a, uh, like a, like almost like suffocating. Right? Oh, yeah. And so like, uh, performance actually goes down versus if the teachers were focused on making sure they're healthy before they walk in, and then they ensured that their kids were healthy and ready to engage, we actually would see the academics increase, but we can't totally get it out of that. order. I totally believe that. And even just how, if you broke it down to how the brain functions, if, if my logic center and my thinking through center and my memory centers are, are to help working at a healthy rate, then I'm going to have much more access to information and I'm going to be much more able to learn. But if I'm stressed and you did an fMRI study in my brain, you'd notice that I'm having trouble learning right now. But and that I'm probably having trouble teaching right now as well. And it'd be interesting to see, I don't, I don't even know if this is on the table, but if, if this season affects all, all the required testing like that. Because I, I know my daughter didn't have to take... Um, the state math test, which would which should have been required to pass for graduation, um, as a sophomore, they have to take that test. They, but they didn't have school; they didn't teach to the test, so they didn't have to take the test. Social that's just off the table for her. she doesn't have to take it anymore. I think what's powerful about that is it kind of falls into the list of things that prior to the coronavirus, we were told were required. This is just the way life has to go. There's no changing it. And then when this thing hit, and I'm not trying to act like, you know, whatever you believe about the test is, for, is up for you as a listener, but it just opened my eyes on like what we can do and the, the mountains we can move when we lead with empathy. When we were thinking for a second, you know what, the test is the last thing we need kids to worry about right now. And right. then the, uh, good things start coming out of it. You know what I mean? So, right. I mean, maybe we do need to bring some form of assessment back, but like, let's keep the empathy. Can we, can we keep that, you know? I, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not even against the testing because I'd like to know like where they are as well. So I'm not, I'm, that's, I think assessment is, is, is okay and great. Uh, but, but the way that the teachers and the students spoke about it, it, it was more assessing their ability to control their anxiety than their ability to, to convey the information. Yeah. That, to me, is the real issue with the high-stakes testing is that it creates an environment or creates a reality where we're not really like to Dr. Tonawa's point, we're not really seeing what you know or what you can do so much as how well you can, you know, manage your emotions and anxiety in the face of this challenge. You know, um, the other part for me going beyond what Dr. Tonawa says is that so often these high stakes tests are, are you got one shot. Yep. Whereas for me, I, I, I try to teach my, my own biological children. If you try this and you fail, we know where the work is. We yeah. know where we can spend some time. We'll, we can do it again, you know, after you study some more. And so, you know, 
and, that, and rides on this is it's so not you know it's not really how we learn it's not how we work in the real world and uh, there's so much to unpack about those tests and 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 what our expectations are like kids are measured against this 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 fake expectation that this test is the thing that that speaks to their value as a student right mm-hmm. but there we we know as 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 grown people who've lived in this world that that test actually doesn't speak to the expectations that I have for myself when, when you get in the real world nobody cares how you did in the eighth grade on your ELA state mandated test right and, right. and, and, and you know what's what adds to it is so one of my good buddies is a, an engineer by training uh-huh. lives out in Oakland and I think, I think, I don't know if they do smarter balance there, which, 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 you know, pick your flavor, but he took whichever test they give the math section. And he's like, I passed. He said, but that was hard as an engineer. He said, there was stuff on there. I haven't seen since I was an undergrad. He said, I guarantee you none of the decision makers, none of my, none of our board members yeah. could pass that test. And so, so this gets me to thinking, you know, um, TNTP, uh, an organization that, that full transparency that I work for, we, we published a national study a couple of years ago called the opportunity myth. And, and one of the things that, that we learned from that study is how important having a teacher with high expectations is for kids, hmm. right? What we learned is that, that if, if kids have a teacher that truly lives out the high expectations that they have for kids, particularly kids who have been underserved, uh, students of color, students who, who live in low-income communities, um, students who um, are, are not necessarily native English speakers, uh, students with learning disabilities. We can make up months and months and months of, of learning gaps just by having a teacher that, that lives out this idea that I believe that you can learn, that you can achieve, and that you can grow. But if we're setting that high expectation at a point that is just to jump over the hurdle of this test, that's not really a high expectation, right? Not at all. And so, so there are, there are uh, you know, cultural differences come into play where if, if you're in a culture that, that values the score on that test, then that's, th- that's the expectation that I'm going to speak to you. But if, if you don't value the outcome of that test, then that's not really an authentic high expectation, right? It's, it, it's, it's a meaningless expectation if you don't value the outcome of that test. Right. Exactly. Especially when, when, and not necessarily speaking about the big ones, but any assessment, if what we're really assessing is your ability to memorize some random facts or to replicate a specific mm-hmm. procedure, as opposed to, are you able to think critically and approach a new challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Build on prior or, or leverage prior knowledge to attack something new. Like that's meaningful. But yeah, if it's just like rote, that's not a real, that's not a real high expectation at all. And it's not the kind of stuff that you see. We talked about this in a past episode. It's not the kind of stuff you see when you've got $30,000 to pay for a kindergarten. Yeah. Kids in those independent schools are not getting that jump. Right. And, and what's the most insidious part of this is that when, when, when we set these sort of these silly expectations of what, mean, what success means and students don't, don't meet it, then we've created a wall. And when they hit that wall, 
it's a demotivating factor. Mm. Let's listen to, 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 to Daryl Tonema, uh, Dr. Tonema talk about what, what it means when we have this barrier, when we hit this wall, what does it do to us? You know, as you're saying that, that makes me want to think out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about efficacy, the belief that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's a, a, a level, if you have low efficacy in a certain area, when you come up against an obstacle, you'll, you'll spend less time trying to work around the os- obstacle and be less creative in trying to overcome the obstacle. And I wonder, I'm going to phrase, um, m- low multicultural efficacy. So there's, I come up against something I don't understand. So I'm going to spend, and I, I, don't, I don't really have a lot of confidence in my ability to grow to understand this. So I spend less time trying to and less effort trying to create and, and be creative and learning how to understand this. So I go back to what has been most comfortable. And, that, and that's and. And that's not a matter of intelligence or ignorance. It's just a matter of, I don't really know how to do this. So it's a matter of efficacy. When we have low multicultural efficacy, it's easier to blame the other, being the minority, whatever, the the other population. It's easier to say, well, it's on them. I tried, but he tried up to his fence line. He didn't try to, to go past that. So within that, and you see this in, in, on, in South Dakota, on the residents of South Dakota, it's easier to blame the other than. I think you just come, you just, we're, we're flushing this thing out right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I like that. I like that because, you know, you talk about the fence line, right? You came right up to your level of comfort. And then, unfortunately, what that does, and, and, and more than just this scenario with that I just laid out, that... If, you know, when you, if you come in with any type of um, negative narrative about the folks that you're, <clears throat> excuse me, that the folks that you're serving or working with, then once you get to your fence line and don't get the desired outcome, it just solidifies that. Now it's not a theory. <clears throat> excuse me. Now it's not a, someone else's experience. It's your experience. Right. So when I taught those kids, you know, like, for example, you know, like, let's say, let's change the example, you know, when the schools want families to show up for conferences or they want families to show up for community events, I reached out, they didn't show up. See, native families don't care about school. We built it and they didn't come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, but you know, and, and you know, this, when you're thinking about concepts and ideas, we have to have the devil's advocate because, and I always think about when I'm going to give a talk and I really want to make sure people understand it. I always, I always try to think, what, what is the opposite of this view? Mm. So, so I'm prepared for when people ask that question. I can, I, I'm kind of, I've already kind of thought through different responses. So a response to this is, um, doesn't this community have a similar responsibility as this community about coming to the fence? So, I mean, so this is the person that said, oh, I tried. And so then, and, and you've probably heard this question, they need to meet us halfway or they need to come mm-hmm. as well. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, as I was, you flush out multicultural efficacy, um, understanding a, and not even an argument, because I want to understand that as well. Right. Um, right. 
And I think, I think you have, a, I mean, th that's exactly what you hear actually. They got to meet us halfway. And, but I, and so I think what complicates it is the cultures in some ways are so different. And I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you know, going to the res, you're going into the time warp or, you know, alternate dimension. But like one scale that you can measure culture by is like collectivism versus individualism. There are so many other things as far as the different values. And I think that when you're talking about meeting halfway, even when you say that, I've never heard, put it this way, in, in all my experience, I've never had a, 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 like the, the native educator or the native administrator or the native family say, I need this teacher to meet me halfway. I've never, but I've heard the non-native folks say that. And usually that still is rooted in a sense of privilege on like, what does it mean to be met halfway? Like you have to meet me on my terms, right? Mm. If you don't show up this way, then that's not halfway. And so it's not to say that that's an, in, it's invalid. It's just that I think that's where maybe some of it, it's almost like if I met you at the front, uh, at the fence and you were speaking English and I was speaking French, you'd have met me halfway, but I still don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I think that might be part of it is because for folks who are, to your point, low on the multicultural efficacy, you know, scale, even when I'm trying to quote unquote, meet you halfway, I'm still expecting you to meet you, meet me in my terms, in my language, in my culture, in my frame of reference and all this other stuff you're doing. I don't get it. Awesome. That is an excellent, I love what you just said. Even, even we could be talking totally different languages and meet at the fence and still not know what, what the other is talking about. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Mind blown, right? In this moment where, where we think about all of the voices that are just shouting through and at and with each other. Have, have we stopped to assess, are we all speaking the same language? Mm. Do we know each other's point of reference enough to really understand, to, to paraphrase Chris Tucker, the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> what is that? Is that what uh, Rush Hour philosophy yeah. according to Rush Hour? Right. <laughs> Sorry, that might have been a stretch. I, but but that but that conversation is is, I, I think something that we may, especially is, is uh, from, from predominantly white institutions who are all about community engagement mm -hmm. and, and, and hearing from stakeholders, throwing out all these, all these words, but are, are we equipped to listen and mm -hmm. actually hear? Because listening and hearing are two completely different actions. Right. Right, and I think it's so important. No, it is, and it, it, it is because, um, you know, what I love about the way uh, Dr. Tonemont speaks is he, he, his language is so, um, it's chock full of images mm. um, and stories, which I feel like having spent as much time as I now have in indigenous communities, it's very, very indigenous, right? The idea of using stories and illustrations, um, you know, like, or like folks telling you a story mm -hmm. and then not giving you the moral because a part of indigenous thought and philosophy to tap into some, you know, of the phraseology that we can borrow from Diana, Dr. Knoyer, yeah. indigenous thought and philosophy sometimes is that I'm not going to give you the answer. It's right. It's all right there in the story. Tease yep. it out. 
yeah. turn it over, right? And and then I thought, I then and then I think, well, that's not just native, right? Like, yeah. you know, you go back to any culture, you know, especially cultures where like the the written word doesn't dominate, yeah, right, and where like interpersonal relationships and storytelling are so popular, it's a part of every culture. And as someone who, who identifies as a white man, I, I recognize that there is, you know, it is about what was written on the page. You know, it, it's about, did you get the memo? And I think there is, there is a gap between, um, between uh, other communities and how, how, how those communities communicate both within and without the community. Thank you for joining this episode. Remember, uh, join us online, uh, uh, theboardofed.com. That's the B-O-R-E-D of ed.com. We are on Facebook, The Board of Ed, uh, and we are on Instagram and Twitter, the underscore board of ed. That's at the underscore B-O-R-E-D-O-F-E-D. Jonathan, sail us away. Take us into the sunset. First of all, you know, if you want to learn more about Dr. Tonema or any of our guests, go to the website, theboardofed.com. Check out Meet the Board. For Dr. Tonema in specific, I just want to thank him for making time for us. He's normally jet-setting all over the country, providing, you know, his wisdom, his, his wit and wisdom, all his support to school. So we appreciate him making the moment for us. And I want to encourage you to reach out to him or any of our other guests to, to be in community and be in fellowship with them. Um, and to you, Listener, I'm, I'm grateful for you. We are grateful for you. All the uh, success and excitement that the show has enjoyed is because of you. And I want to encourage you that in your, as you're in various stages of returning to school, this may be day one, it may be week one, um, or you may be a little bit further along, you know, continue to do the incredible work that you do. Um, our kids are in dire need of, of your love, your attention. You know, we're, we're seeing stories of kids getting in trouble. Um, because of things that they're doing in virtual school that it's just like, it's so heartbreaking. And so I want to remind you um, that you play an important role in creating community and safety, uh, loving environments for all students, no matter how they identify. Um, And so even if it feels like you don't have the power to do it, you have so much more power than you give yourself credit for. So so bask in that, stand in that, um, and be unwavering in your commitment. Uh, to creating the places where all kids can thrive. Um, And you do that, and we'll do the best that we can to have another episode, another awesome episode for you next week. Thank you. We'll see you then. Meantime, stay bored.